This is American Fashion Podcast. I'm Charles Beckwith here with Kathy Shepes. Hi, everyone. And our guest is uh, the founder of A-Line Partners, Gabriella Santanello. Hi, Gabriella. Hi. Gabriella, uh, you are an expert on fashion retail and you advise uh, big equity companies that are investing in fashion brands. Um, what's going on? What are you seeing uh, in the world today? Well, it's definitely very different than it was a year, year and a half ago. Um, well, for the first time in a long time, we're in a fashion cycle. Um, you know, I think, I think what's leading up. Well, it means that we actually have some trends and we, we're seeing a shift in silhouette. So probably like 10 years ago, I want to say, we saw what, what they called the upside down triangle. So skinny jeans, voluminous top. It was that look. And boy, did we hang on to it. We hung on to it for years. Everybody, it was hard to, to break away from the skinny jean. And now finally, this, this pandemic, when everybody wore you know sweatpants and, and lounge for a year, now we're seeing this excitement around wide leg bottoms, smaller tops. So we've, in, you know, the, the triangle, um, you know, is back right side up. So with that, everybody's buying multiple units. So we're hearing a lot of outfitting, um, just a lot of excitement around that. That drives a different type of shoe. It drives a different type of handbag. So now that, you know, everybody's going out, everybody wants to have the new look. And it's interesting because, you know, I was talking to a lot of my clients about it and everybody's like, oh, the Roaring Twenties and, you know, everyone's all excited to go out. And I was thinking, well, you know, people are starved for experiences. And I thought people would want to spend on experiences before apparel. But I've changed, I've backtracked a little bit on that because what we're seeing is people are, you know, the experiences vary from state to state. You could go to Florida and stay in a hotel and you still have to wear a mask. So it's not totally open uniformly, you know, across the country. So people are spending on apparel. So, you know, we, we're, we're getting great numbers. We're starting to see just mall traffic improve. People want to go out. They want to socialize. Mainly the teens are out now. We see a lot of teen and young adult shoppers. Um, so there's a lot of excitement around that. And and so do you think it's the need to, from a psychological standpoint, because I know that you study that aspect mm -hmm. a lot as well. So is it the need for us to feel, want to feel new and fresh and different? I mean, because it's, it is remarkable that we would move away from the skinny jean. I like, know, I it's know. Fat, it's actually I fantastic. Know. I'm very excited about it. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's just, it's a fresh start. Everybody wants a fresh start. I think this past year was just so trying for, for everyone in, in many different ways. And I think that, you know, a general theme we're seeing across the board is optimism. Like, Michael Kors has a whole sort of YouTube video for his spring collection, and he talks about optimism. I walk into a Carter's retail store, and it's a spring is about optimism. And so we're seeing that, that word um, used in, across many different retailers. And I think, you know, everyone's just excited to, to you know, be out, to socialize, and, and, you know, a new look comes along with it. So... so a lot of the retailers are kind of gone. They, they gave up their retail positions. Mm -hmm. A lot of companies have gone online only. Are you seeing people taking leases and, and starting to move back towards having stores? Or 
is e-commerce only enough for a lot of brands that, that wouldn't have made that shift otherwise? Well, there's, there's a whole cycle to the retail footprint, um, if you don't mind if I take a step back and sort of explain how I, how I look at it. So, you know, prior to the internet or when the internet was just getting started, one of the only ways to really drive revenue was to open a store. And a lot of these retailers are publicly traded, and that's how they would show their numbers, and that was growth. Um, and, and then we had, you know, 2008 and the market crash and, and the recession, and a lot of retailers were just pulling out of stores that were not profitable. They, but a lot of them were stuck in long-term leases. Your leases can be 10 to 15 years. So then the, then the mall operators started to make it, you know, almost, it was almost free. They'd, they'd give them such a good deal. They were like, all right, well, we'll stay. And then they had maybe two, three-year, you know, clauses, and then they'd say, okay, we're out. You know, the stores, it's just unprofitable. Uh, retailers were overstored, and that, that's, just, that's just the way it was. Like, nobody needed a 1,000 Pacific Sunwear stores. We, we just didn't. Um, and, and as the Internet grew and people were more comfortable and, you know, sort of it is where it is today, a lot of retailers just decided, okay, we have these unprofitable stores. We're just going to pull out. And then another thing that has happened is social media. And so I, social media to me has been like the democratization of retail. I remember starting out when people would be intimidated. I'm not going to go into a Neiman Marcus. I'm not going to walk into Gucci. I, you know, they would feel feel intimidated. They did. They didn't feel like they would be treated right. Now a young girl sees Kylie Jenner with her Gucci handbag and she goes, she'll take the trip. She'll, they'll drive 45 minutes, they'll go to a mall and they'll go to the mall with the Gucci and they'll walk in the store and, and have no problem looking around. So I think we've also seen this development of these like A-plus malls that are lifestyle centers or, you know, concept malls where people will make a day of it and they'd much rather just travel and then spend time there and and go to all the retailers they want to go go to and and then go home and there are there is local shopping but that's more for like i'm popping in i'm popping out if that i mean most of it's gone to amazon or, or online and you know now you can obviously you can have merchandise within hours if you want so, so a lot of the big box spaces are still pretty empty though mm -hmm. so how how do malls achieve this thing where they are a destination again? Oh, it, it's, well, it's got, there has to be a lot of, of, you know, social, there has to be a social component to it, essentially. So there has to be, you know, whatever it is. I mean, it used to be the food court, but it was maybe like a, you know, high-end food court now or some something interactive. There's a lot of like, you know, um, you know, digital offerings or you or concierge services or we've seen virtual fashion shows, we've seen outposts. Um, so it's it just sort of runs the gamut, but it's it's really gotta be something very, very social. So you can spend time and you're not just in and out shopping. And something they'll have to really keep on for the long term. I mean, I was reading about um, Brookfield malls, which mm -hmm. is more higher end and that they mm -hmm. were. And I've heard of malls doing this, but they were going to have drive ins for movies and they were moving a lot of restaurants outdoors. So just like you said, kind of making it more social. Do you think that's going to be an important aspect for yes, all malls? Def yeah. Definitely. It's, 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 it's all about the experience. People have to have experiences and, you know, 
if if you're just there and you're just going to go in and buy something and leave, I mean, that's kind of almost like an Amazon experience and, and it has to be something special and something exciting and, and also just like a great retail environment. I mean, there's some, there's some retail stores out there that, um, you know, really, I always say like do good retail. And I think it's, it's, I, I like the fact that sort of the onus is back on the retailers because I think that, for a while there with just, you know, oh, we open another store and oh, we're going to see the additional revenue. And, you know, I could take Ann Taylor product and put it in Gap and put Gap in Ann Taylor and you wouldn't even know the difference. So I think that, that you know, it gets to a point where they have to provide like a great environment and whatever that is. I mean, it could be, it could be, you know, again, a concierge or your salesperson can do, you know, stylist boards or, you know, any, any, anything just interesting and different. Does this raise the costs for consumers? Not necessarily. Um, it can. An interesting, an interesting thing coming out of the pandemic is that retailers are much less promotional. Um, and we are not seeing the discounting. We've seen retailers raise price points. Um, and another fascinating thing is that the consumer's a lot more patient and if they want something, they'll they'll buy it. Um, so, I not as of yet we haven't seen that really translate to to you know much higher costs for for the consumer as of yet. And so. when people go into the stores, are they purchasing or is it more showrooming? Or are they trying stuff out and then buying it online from the same place or from other places? I, I think it's a little bit of both, depending because. It, Another interesting um, thing that we're seeing now is just the way the the retailers are, what they're doing with inventory in the store versus what they're doing online. And, you know, last year the buzzword was BOPIS, buy online, pick up in store. So everybody was excited about that, and that was a big driver. And now every these retailers were almost afraid to send inventory to the stores. So you can go, but you're not going to find your size. So they can actually do free shipping from the store. So the associate can just buy it for you and they can, they can ship it to your house for free. Um, but I, I would say more than half the time, if I go to a retailer, I'm not going to actually find my size in, in what I want. And I, I wish the retailers would funnel more inventory to the stores because it, it's not going to harm them. I mean, a lot of them fulfill online from in-store anyway. And I think you should have the presentation in the store and you should just in case somebody wanders in and decides they want to buy a pair of jeans, it should be readily available to them. But I do think there is a little bit of this, um, you know, they're, they're being very cautious in that regard. Uh, but I would like to see that change. Also, I mean, many of them were finding that they were um, buying it, picking it up in the store, and then they come in the store and they make an additional purchase. Is Correct. That, yes. Yeah. Yes. The halo effect. Yes. So um, as we were talking about denim before, just thinking, mm -hmm. I'm, I've heard a few times the feeling that the middle market is going to suffer the most, that a lot of people, wealthier people are trading up and buying higher, and then the masses, so to speak are looking for more well-priced goods. How do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. And is it, um, are there just too many brands basically in the middle? And that's maybe what well, that is about. Um, yeah, well, there are a lot of brands in the middle. I mean, it's, uh, 
Another interesting phenomenon over the last year is that luxury has been incredibly strong, like stronger than than ever. And it's because everybody had this, you know, discretionary income and they could purchase all these really high end goods. And, you know, I think the middle market, you know, the customers looking for value, they've always looked for value. Um, And so I don't think retailer, retailers aren't going to stop promoting. I mean, I still think they're going to promote, but they may bring something, you know, like Old Navy bringing up their pair of jeans by a dollar. You know, we we see that. Um, Bath and Body Works has slowly been raising prices as well. Um, okay, that's different. Sorry, that's a lot of hand sanitizer, so they can do that at this point. But we've seen other retailers, we've seen other retailers bring up their prices, but they're slight. It's not, it's not, you're not looking at like five, $10 increases. Um, and then I've seen another, another interesting thing with some of these, these mass sort of middle market retailers. A lot of them have taken their, their basics and they're saying it's, it's, you know, value pricing. Um, I think old navies is called like, it's like, you know, magical something, um, I can't. I can't remember off the top of my head. But what they're doing is they're basically just taking them out of their usual promotional activity, and they're just val- going to value price it. So you know, twelve dollars for a pair of chinos, fifteen dollars for jeans, and then you're going to see the fashion, and then they're going to promote around that, like up and down with with the fashion. Um, and I think what reta- I think also because a lot of retailers still produce in China. Um, and rely on China that they learned a lesson this year. And now they're like, okay, well, maybe there are certain products that we have that we just can't like read and react and we just have to invest in. And so that's what that looks like to me. They're going for that basic replenishment product and then they're going to price it competitively. And then fashion is where they're going to, you know, have that also value pricing takes away from the uh, the intensity of um, promotion, right? Which Correct. is what you were saying before, yes. less promotional activity, yep. which would only be good for the industry. Mm-hmm. I yes. mean, maybe we could become like Europe and just have sale. Oh, could you imagine? Oh my gosh. <laughs> two well, times a year. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that won't happen. <laughs> that, that would be great, but I don't think so. I, I, think, we, I think with this value pricing too, and it's interesting just like the psychological sort of games that retailers and customers, you know, sort of that that interaction is that it's these price points are not necessarily deeper. It's just that, you know, they were 18 bucks and then they were promoted on. So at the end of the day, you were maybe paying 12 dollars. But now it's just the flat twelve dollars, no promotion. So it's not even the retailers aren't even really leaving losing any money on it. So that's also a nice thing that sort of protects, you know, the retailers and and the industry. So. Do you see free shipping just generally going away? I I think free shipping, I don't think it's generally going to go away. I think what they're going to say is if you spend $50, you get free shipping. So I think retailers are going to say, here's the threshold and this is what you have to spend. And then, and then we'll give you free shipping and then maybe have like weekends of free shipping. And, um, but I do think we do see the free shipping aspect of it, you know, slowly, slowly. I mean, disappearing just because of profitability erosion, because basically we were always paying for the shipping anyway. Right. Right. I mean, it was always built in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. In all of the things that you study in the retail space, what gets you excited? What What do you think is fun about um, what you get to see and what you get to learn? Oh, I I just get really excited to see the okay, like the shift in fashion trend. I mean, finally, right? I mean, we've been waiting for this for years. And I just get really excited when I see these these sort of trends catch on and to see the momentum. And and for a long time, there just really wasn't, again, the internet, social media, the just the, the just information is is out there just constantly. And it's hard for a trend to really to really sort of snowball and to, and to really build. And so I do think that this reset, um, you know, with, with the pandemic and, and, you know, people not really going out has, has been great for this sort of push forward. And it's just exciting for me to see, um, you know, people out shopping and to look what people gravitate towards and to just sort of understand like just the, the consumer mindset and, um, just how one thing drives something else. Like one of my favorite segments in the market, and this it's, I guess it might not be that strange since I live in California, but I love like the skater market and action sports. And I love like a retailer like Zoomies and like Pacific Sunwear and I, I in vans and I love to see like Tokyo Olympics is coming. And I, and so skateboarding now is really hot. And then We've got the wide leg jeans and Vans was kind of losing momentum. And then now we've got the skater jeans. So you have to be authentic and you got to wear your Vans with the skater jean. And so it's these types of like little sort of nuances that I, I just, I love to discover. And I love to, I love to talk to also people who are passionate about the industry. So that's why I love going to those stores too, because they live, eat and breathe that lifestyle. So it's really fun to talk to them. Okay. So you find yourself doing a lot of work, consulting work for, you become the eyes and ears for retailers as well as private equity. Is that right? No, actually I work with some retailers. My main clients are private equity and institutional investors. Okay. great. So hedge funds, mutual funds, and they use, and, and even private equity, like they, they know the numbers, they know the numbers inside and out. So they look to me to provide the color. So I always say like, you know, in sports, you're the color commentator. That's me. Which numbers recently have led to the wrong conclusions? Which for me, like what have I looked at for the wrong? That, that you've seen that, that would tell your clients to go a certain direction, but you've been able to correct them uh, and say that that number doesn't mean what you think it means. I, uh, you know, we started to pick up on a slowdown in like sporting goods. Um, and everybody thought, you know, a retailer like Dick's was invincible. And, um, you know, we had many, many conversations about it. And I was like, look, like, once you buy a treadmill, you don't need another treadmill. And everybody thought it was still really, really hot um, around the holidays. And we started to see that dip off. Like they, they would get a shipment of bicycles and they wouldn't sell through the bicycles. Or they, we started to see some of the, some of the apparel slow down. Um, and you, you, know, you look at that and then I'm like, okay, well, it's beginning now because every, all the different regions are opening. And so people are just shifting their, their buying habits. So I had a lot of, a lot of conversations about, about that. And then also I could say just a pickup in general of like an urban outfitters and um, anthropology is a little bit slower. Um, but looking at like the wide leg denim, I mean, last, last summer I went to the mall and I was with my, I have 13 year old nieces and they're, 
actually perfect to take to the mall. And we go to the mall and I was like, oh my God, every kid is wearing wide leg denim and Converse. And I remember going to my, and I'm looking around and I remember going back to my clients and I was like, yeah, this is it. Like it's wide leg denim and it's Converse. And I can tell you that Vans is decelerating. And that was, that was also a big, a big discussion. Um, and so we started to see that as well. That came to fruition. So we've seen some of these, these shifts over the past year. And now everybody's big concern is just like the roaring twenties. Is it actually happening? And, you know, are people buying apparel? And so. For the smaller brands, what do you think is the, the position they should be trying to get into for the next couple of years? Um, right now if if everything's kind of disorganized right now what should they be, they be moving towards look i think if you're a smaller brand i think it's just really important to you know be authentic where is your you know if your products made in the usa just like look at what, what what's part of your dna and really convey that message and have like that consistency with your your messaging and your brand and yeah i mean there are a lot of brands out there that just can't you know you can't compete with an Amazon or, you know, even with like a mass retailer like Old Navy or, or Target, but it's just really focusing in on that core consumer. Um, and, and then if you, you know, whether or not you have a retail store, if you have a retail store, we are seeing, you know, maybe some pop-ups or, um, you know, we're starting to see that come back a little bit. Um, you know, to be very strategic about obviously where your pop-up is and then make it experiential in, in some way, shape or form. And whether that's, you know, that could be anything, um, at this point. So, so what will help a new brand or even a mid-sized brand now is going to be, um, money <laughs> and investment. Well, yeah. So, yeah. so are you seeing anything on the PE side or the hedge fund side where they are looking to support this part of the market? We're seeing some of it, yeah, because there is some money on the sidelines. And I do think that, you know, when they look at brands, whether they're, it's a digitally native brand and they're going to kind of go into bricks and mortar or, you know, they are looking at some of these like mid-sized brand, brands, what they're really looking for is just, you know, it's, it's experience, it's community, it's like building that base with your customers. Um, I can give you an example of one. There's a, um, a, 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 an athletic company called Vori. I don't know if you've seen them, V-U-O-R-I. So they're, they're big out here in Los Angeles, and they're gaining some traction, and they're kind of a, a sort of a Lululemon, you know, sort of could be a branch of Lululemon, I guess you could say. But they've built such a, a, a following with their customer and they have, they're known for like their men's shorts and they do a lot of like Instagram advertising and um, they've really been able to like gain some really great momentum um, with their brand. So it's, and it's just understanding like who you're, you know, it's one product and then it's understanding like who your customer is. And I think that that's what like, the, the PE side, they're just looking for something that's sustainable and that is going to really gain momentum. Um, and, and they look at that, how, how, you know, there's, there's Lululemon, but mm-hmm. there's also more than Lululemon. So, so then what about, um, 
I saw an interview of yours, and it was like from 2016, and you were like, traditional retailers haven't changed since their inception, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And here we are. So thinking about like a Macy's and oh. um, and a Saks Fifth Avenue, how yeah. do you think that they will survive? I mean, oh communicating in a different way with their customer, I mean, I don't know that that's really no, it's on not the realistic. table. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's not, it, that's, that's a lot tougher for those retailers. And, um, it's, it's interesting because when I, back in the day when I was in fashion and I sold into Macy's, I worked for Ralph Lauren, um, it was, I mean, it was broke. It was by region. It was very regional. And I'm sure you remember. I mean, it was, it was always like regional buying. And then with a Macy's goes to, you know, corporate in New York, and they lost some of that regional assorting. And I can remember, you know, all of a sudden being like, well, wait a minute, you know, we're going to mark down shorts on the mainland, but we don't need to mark them down in Hawaii. We can keep them full price. But oh, no, it's part of the big system, and they're going to get marked down anyway. And then you're like, oh, my God, like we're losing all this money. So I think it... I think that they need to really drill down regionally and and understand their consumer and the weather and just, you know, the lifestyle and and what goes on in these regions. Um, And then, again, it's a, you know, a department store. It's it's I always say it's like doing a U-turn in the Queen Mary like this doesn't happen overnight. It's going to take a while. So they're going to have to figure out how to make it, you know, cosmetics can be more tactile and 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 more interactive and, and less sort of less traditional. And then they can, you know, have different departments like lifestyle departments and just group the product differently and, and, you know, pare down the inventory. And, you know, they tried also with like last act to kind of have their own little, I always say like TJ Maxx, you know, within, within Macy's and, you know, they sort of did that by market. And so they seem to be, some of the retailers seem to be experimenting, um, but I think it's going to be a lot of just a trial and error and just seeing what 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 customers take to, because I think that they can think they have a great idea and then it and then it can be just a big flop. So and then Saks is interesting. And in Saks of Avenue, like in New York, that new format, it's all open in the middle and very a lot more modern. And, um, you know, so they're trying. But at the end of the day, the department store format is is still difficult to. To break yeah, away it's from. just old. I mean, it honestly, is. in New York, Bloomingdale's feels really good. They redid a lot of their store. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I mean, in my opinion, and Saks just feels kind of. I mean, it is an open concept. Yeah, the Barney's piece, and maybe you know there was a hesitancy on that, or mm-hmm. a slow, you know, kind of a, a stall because mm-hmm. of what we just went through. But it doesn't feel any different um, yeah. than the rest of the store. Right. But I. Think the biggest issue is, um, you know, how people are helping you. It's like, it's kind of like the basics mm-hmm. of communication or how are those salespeople helping you? And yeah. something about Saks, I, mean, I don't mean to just say this about Saks, is like, I'm always, you're always in the crossfire of people, of the salespeople that work there, like socializing. Like, it's true. I feel it all right. the time, <laughs> you know? So it's kind of like, it's true. yeah. It's true. Management kind of needs to just see really what's what's happening. Yeah. We always say, I mean, you know, everybody like Nordstrom has that that reputation that Nordstrom is like the gold standard for, for customer service and, and with the salespeople. And it's interesting because I'll go in there and talk to, to a salesperson and they have their 
they have like their app that they can create like stylist boards and they can send it to their clients. And so they'll text to their clients. And so a lot of them have just these like really personal relationships with their clients. And even when their clients didn't want to come into the store, they'd be like, okay, here's instead of their, instead of the clients actually purchasing online, the client would just, they'd go back and forth on the stylist board and here's what I want. And then the stylist would be or the salesperson would be the one who would order, ultimately order it for them and have it delivered to their house. So there's a lot of that attention. I think which their is training great. must be amazing, mm-hmm. you know, because they're not intrusive and they feel really sincere. I mean, I Nordstrom know. is amazing. Yeah, they do a phenomenal job. They really mm. do. Mm. And I just, oh, yeah. One thing right now, like I was just at the mall yesterday and, um, you know, I'm waiting to get into a store and I'm in line and, and they're like, okay, what are you looking for? I don't know. I'm here every single week. I'm really not looking at anything. I'm coming. I just want to come in the store. Okay, great. So you're not looking to buy. And then they go down like every promotion they have and the whole thing. And you just feel like you're being held hostage. And like, I, if I didn't have to go in, I wouldn't. But unfortunately, you know, I got to go in. But I think also like, it, it is a fine line. Like you got to figure out how that, um, it'd be interesting with Nordstrom, you know, to see what their training is. So, so that the sales associates don't have to be, you know, intrusive, but not too aloof and to sort of educate the customer. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's a fine line. Yeah. It seems like in the last year, e-commerce has jumped three or four years forward. The fulfillment systems mm-hmm. have just they've they've been purchased they've been installed whereas mm-hmm. they weren't there before there there's been this need to okay let's just get the product to the customer and they did it i mean a lot mm-hmm. of companies invested in this in the last year and and now they seem much more capable with supply chain issues aside yeah do you see other technologies coming in that that aren't aren't widely being used yet that will be more in play with retail? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, there's a lot of, well, it's interesting. There are a lot of retailers that actually got rid of their distribution centers and they're doing all online fulfillment. Um, So we are seeing some of that too. It's just sort of that move away. Like, I'm sure you've have you ever placed an order and you're like, oh, this just came from like the next town over, you know, the store, the next town over it, but, but you placed it online. It didn't come from a distribution center. I think we're going to see a lot more of that because I don't think retailers are just want to going to want to, you know, carry the inventory. Um, but I haven't seen like a technology per se that I could really name. Um, that's new at this point. Um, that's really innovative. Did they learn much more about their customers in the last year? I think, I think they learned about their customers. I think, I think with, you know, analyzing and looking at online orders and you kind of like, you know, see where your customers are, you can see what they're buying. Certainly, um, you know, there was a group of customers that had some more, you know, disposable income and were purchasing. And I think also, what's also interesting that I, that I think a lot of retailers learned about their customers is that the customer is actually a lot more patient than you think they are. Mm-hmm. And I think over the past year, like if, you know, I remember 
um, I was talking to um, someone in a store and she was like, oh, yeah, you know, I placed an order and we had this option like, hey, you know, we're really working to fulfill the orders. And if you could wait an extra week, like we'd really appreciate it. Can you just choose this option? And people would be like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, so I think that, you know, there's been like sort of this give and take between retailers and consumers. And before it was like, you know, got to have it now, got to have it within an hour. And and I think that the, the consumer the consumer has exhibited a lot more patience. Um, so, you know, we've learned that. And then also like, you know, customer preferences and, and which, okay, it, it's been a year when everybody was buying a lot of loungewear. So there wasn't, you know, you didn't really get like a broad read against like all the different categories these retailers carried. So hopefully now what they have to do is actually keep the customer. And, and again, we're moving from that. You just can't like throw a pair of sweatpants and a sweatshirt on your floor and be like, yay, that's, that's awesome. It's going to sell. Now it's like the onus is back on you. Like you have to have really good fashion and the design has to be there. And that's what I like about what's going on now too, is like, there's a little bit more pressure. Like you have to, you got to have the good fashion and people can go to, you know, cross shop and anyway. What about, um, customer consciousness? Um, has it been raised I mean, or they are saying it has been raised around sustainability and uh, recycling. Yeah, sustainability How did that is big. Start to affect some of the mass retailers. Yeah, yeah, sustainability is big, and I think uh, uh, retailers are all—they're all working on that. Um, they have to. I mean, there's no, there's no—I don't want to say like excuse, but I mean, they can't. There's no excuse now. I mean, you have to have—you have to work on having sustainable product, and and I think also. There was something interesting that I, I talked to a reporter about where they were thinking of, of placing an additional tax on goods in Manhattan. And it was because they didn't want, they wanted people to consolidate their shipments. And they didn't, so instead of ordering like today, like, oh, I'm going to order vitamins from Amazon. And then tomorrow, like, oh, I need shoelaces. It was like, you need to think and everything needs to be, cons you, you got to do that all in one day. So I think there's, yeah, that's like a government imposing it on the consumer. But I do think there's like a general awareness with consumers out there. Like, I don't want to be wasteful. And I think this past year and just what everybody has gone through to there is a greater understanding that, OK, we don't want to be wasteful and we don't want people, you know, whatever, you know, the del my delivery guy, like driving all over creation to deliver my, you know, 15 packages that I could have consolidated. So um, there's, there's a lot of that going on and, you know, we're, we're seeing sustainable product like Hollister just launched a sustainable line for, um, you know, the timing right now is around earth day. Earth day is what the 23rd, I think. Um, but I do think that generation, the Gen Z, um, you know, they're going to demand it. I mean, they're, they're, there's a lot of change going on in the market from, you know, genderless clothing to sustainability to, you know, just being socially aware. Um, and a lot of that is driven by, by Gen Z. So we'll all feels like a, it's a good direction. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 There are a lot of people that, that can, I think some retailers sort of, not that they dig their heels in, but they kind of like sit back and you just, you can't do that anymore. You have to be involved. And so, um, it's a good direction, but it also is like, everybody's getting like a little, a little nudge, a little kick in the butt. Like they got to get moving on it because it's not going to change. Gabriela, um, 
you work with a lot of different companies. Are there people in particular that you would like to get in touch with you for business? Oh, oh my goodness. I did not expect that question. I would love it. I mean, I would love to work with, I would love to work with more retailers um, from, oh, I would love to work with like a Victoria's Secret. Um, I would love to work with an American Eagle. I'd love to work with uh, Zoomies, uh, the Urban Outfitters, Nordstrom, Macy's. We have, like, I get so much data that we, we hear things that I don't think necessarily roll up to management. And a lot of times I'll tell my clients, hey, if you talk to management, would you just pass this along? Because I just don't think that it's getting back to them. Um, and I see, we see things at the various retailers where we're like, oh, if they only knew, like if they just made this one tweak, it would be great. So I think the retailers I just named, I would, I mean, I would love to hear from them. That would be fantastic. That's a great question. Right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we try. This is a business to business show and, and we yeah. want people to be connected with people they need to be connected with. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's just to throw out a few things. I mean, it's, the things we see are just, it's feedback from associates, it's product, it's the way they place their signage. It's like, there are things that are just such like quick fixes um, and others that obviously are a little bit more involved, but there's just certain, and I don't want to say retail 101 because that's not really, that's not really what it's about. It's just that I think you kind of get set in your sort of your planograms or just the way you want your store to be. And you're like, no, this is the way, this is the way it is. And I think there's just like certain tweaks they could make to, that would make their business easier. And fresh eyes to help them, you yeah. know, look at something differently and, and mm -hmm. change it up so that it feels different. Their yeah. environment feels different. Yeah. It becomes more stimulating for a customer. Yeah. Yeah. Another one would be Kate Spade. So that's tapestry. I'd love to Mm -hmm. Love to work with them. <laughs> yeah, tapestry's interesting. They, they've yeah. got their fingers in a couple of different directions, and they do. They're really our only thing that looks anything like LVMH or Richemont in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, in terms of a fashion conglomerate. Yes, um, Coors is trying. I, I think tapestry's really got that authenticity and the quality behind them. Mm -hmm. Um. I mean, it is when they took and they over did some rebranding, I think that was really right. Yes. Yes. In recent years. Exactly. And they're, they're just like, they're, they're, they're sort of, they're ambassadors. Um, they're not afraid to, you know, they were, um, with like, you know, the Ru RuPaul drag race, like they're not, you know, they're show, they're just, they're a little more fearless now, which they weren't before. Everybody, I think thought this was like this sort of like stayed old, like very traditional, company. And I think they're kind of showing that, oh, hey, we're, we really aren't. Um, and we're listening to the younger generation. Um, and then also, I like just on the product side, I mean, they had a lot of, um, you know, brought a lot of like quality to some of the, the Kate Spade handbags, where I think that they were had been lacking in quality before. Um, so I think they did improve on some of the design. So, but I think ready to wear for coach. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you think Huge Coach change. is getting reset properly? That that that's going to be more on track now. Have yes. They, have they turned the giant ship? <laughs> um, I think they have. I mean, I think they've done a phenomenal job with differentiating bef between outlet and full price. 
Um, you know, they have really great, you can, you can go into the, the flagship stores or even non-flagship stores and you can get, you know, your monogram and the associates are really trained on that. And so there's sort of that like personalization that you, you, you have at, at, at the store level, um, you know, great quality product, uh, limited releases. Like, I, I mean, I think they've just done a phenomenal job and then the outlet is great because it just looks very different. And so you're not seeing, you know, at one point, there was the the you know the customer where you could kind of like see yourself coming and going. I always say it was like the same coach bag like that you would see all the time. And I think they've done a good job of of really editing uh, their assortments. And yeah, I love Coach. I think they look great. Here in New York, we have a lot of empty retail spaces, mm-hmm. and a lot of Midtown has emptied out of offices, people aren't coming back to the office to work. There's going to be a lot more uh, remote work in the future. Um, Are you seeing the same thing in Los Angeles? Are there a lot of empty retail spaces? And and what do you think is going to happen to them? Yes, we've seen a lot of empty retail spaces. And I also have a team of people across the country who go to malls for me. And they're constantly like taking pictures and, and kind of reporting back that we're seeing a lot of these store closures. Oh, it's, you know, it's just, it's a huge challenge. I mean, it's either going to be something's going to happen with the whole mall or, which I eventually think is just going to happen. I mean, we had a mall here in Los Angeles that now has been repurposed to offices. And so they've got like offices and then sort of a food court in the bottom where all the retail stores used to be. Um, But yeah, there's going to be, there are going to be certain malls that I think are just going to go away or they're going to have to repurpose them as, you know, lifestyle centers or sort of that like retail, like live, you know, live, work, retail space. Um, but there's going to there's going to be a lot of that. And, and that that goes back to what I was saying, how there's like these like destination malls. Like we have we have destination malls, which are great and everybody will drive to. And then we do have some of these like lo- super local you know, urban suburban malls where people, it's a neighborhood and people go to be social and they, you know, all the, you know, you see the, th- the same three, you know, elderly gentlemen having coffee at the coffee bean or, you know, we have that type of thing going on, but it's the mall in the middle. There's some of those like ma- malls in no man's land where we see a lot of the vacancies. And I just think they're going to have a really hard time filling it. And I don't, I mean, I yeah. think about Fred Siegel's format <gasps> was always, oh. right. Was always perfect. I mean, yes. Always. I used to have to travel to LA a lot and oh, the energy the there was just always right. And he mm-hmm. always had new resources and, mm-hmm. you know, I also wonder in New York, it's not even just the retail stores cause they're, as Charles says, an amazing amount of open space, but hotels mm-hmm. are also another problem. And I'm wondering, oh. you know, if retailers will start to, if some brands will really try to partner with hotels more so than they did perhaps in the past. They should. That's a, that's we've, yeah, we've got a lot to fill. Yeah, there's a lot to fill. And I don't know, I mean, you know, we, we also had a mall here that had like one of their department stores closed down. I can't remember what it was. It might've been a Macy's actually. And then they put like laser tag in and we're seeing gyms move in. And, you know, um, I think one of my, some women who works for me in Columbus, Ohio said like a, like a UFC gym moved into one of the old, like large spaces. It's hard to fill those spaces. So, you know, 
And then you've got these struggling malls, and, and at some point they have to figure out whether they're gonna, how they're going to repurpose them. But there just isn't a need for all that retail, and unfortunately this is just going to go on for a long time, I think. Yeah, and we're going to have a lot more residential apartments taking over a lot of these spaces. Definitely. That's not such a bad thing. It'll bring more people. Yeah. Yeah. And then they'll build up the retail again. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Do over. Yeah. Or a little re- a big reset. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy, the, the question I asked uh, Gabriella a minute ago about who she wants to talk to, um, we, we don't talk about what we do very often. And I wanted to give you that opportunity. You've been an executive at Kate Spade and Klein, Doncaster. Mm-hmm. You now run Lean Canvas Advisory, which is a strategic consultant for uh for merchants, um, who do you want to talk to? Hmm. Okay, well, so there's a couple of, you know, when I look at, um, I think what's really important for brands now is that they are looking at their business from a 360-degree angle, which mm-hmm. is not unusual, but I don't think that everyone always does that. No. Um, and there are new brands like um, Snow and Parachute that are actually home brands that are really becoming very important that I would love to do work for, as well as um, Jenny Kane, mm-hmm. which has remained regular price throughout all of this, which is amazing. Um, and uh, Nilly Lotan is also another brand I would really uh, would be amazing to do work for her because she's you're smiling (laughs) I'm smiling because she was when I I went over to Nautica Jeans Company and launched the women's women's jeans and she was our head designer at the time yeah yeah and John Varvatos was the head designer for men's and I look at that and I'm like wow this is like back like 99 2000 She's so. very much, you know, the the DNA, her DNA is yeah. in that brand. It's yeah. who she is. You yeah. know what I mean? So oh, yeah. to, to be part of something like that would be um, amazing. Right. So people that I've worked with, I'm helping them, especially when the owner is a creative person, mm-hmm. kind of be able to step back and examine, you know, what is the right move to make with their product going forward mm-hmm. and then getting their financials in line. Right. So... Thank you, Charles. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That was great. Uh, so we'll, we'll put links down in the show notes for the major topics we've covered in the episode. Um, Gabriella, are there social media channels you want people to follow you on or anything like that? So I'm a little I'm a little under the radar on social media because I'm a licensed FINRA analyst, and so it's hard for me to sort of be out there with my opinion. Um so, but you can, but I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm, I'm actually working on getting the social media up and running, but there are a few like regulatory hoops I have to jump through at this point. Um, but it would be under A-Line Partners because I have them reserved. I'm just not doing anything with them yet. So. Okay, great. Great. Gabriella, thank you so much for taking the thank time you. to talk to us. Thank and you. We hope you'll come back and talk with oh us Oh my again. God. I would love it. This was fantastic. Thank you so this much. Was it was great. It was yeah. really great meeting you both. And hopefully we could do it in person sometime. That would be great. In the future, I'd love it. We'll come to L.A. Yeah, there you go.
Thank you for listening to American Fashion Podcast. AmericanFashionPodcast.com is our website. You can access over 250 previous episodes by subscribing to our archive on the website. There is also a Be a Guest form on the site where you can reach out to us about being a guest on the show. On Twitter, we're at AFPOD, and on Instagram, we're at American Fashion Show. If you particularly like an episode, please give us a shout-out and tag us on social media. Our voicemail line is 646-979-8709, or you can email info at AmericanFashionPodcast.com. But again, if you want to be a guest on the show, please use the Be a Guest form on the website. American Fashion Podcast is produced by Mouth Media Network, audio for business. If your company or organization needs a podcast, reach out to Mouth Media Network podcasts at mouthmedianetwork.com. This and all other episodes are copyrighted by Mouth Media Network, all rights reserved. Subsist, friends. Keep making things beautiful, remain in force, and we'll talk to you again next week.